and welcome to episode three of Business After Hours. My guest today was Mark Webb. He is an incredibly humble but very passionate person when it comes to business. Uh, Ten years ago, he founded the social enterprise eFactor. Based over in northeast Lincolnshire, they do a lot of really good things for businesses in this local area. Um, Mark talks about how that came about, why he's so passionate about it, what his idea of success is. We also got really deep into Mark's previous history in business and the successes and ups and downs he's had with other ventures. And that was extremely interesting. We dug into lots of other cool business topics. Um, Mark's thoughts on how you should run a business. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I couldn't recommend you listen to this anymore. So I will simply say, enjoy. Hi, Mark. Thanks for being on the podcast. All right, Liam. Um, your background in business is quite diverse. Yeah, so could be, yeah. you uh, we were just chatting before and you said you actually kind of started out of business age 16. So yeah, I think there's probably a good place to start. Okay. So what were you doing at 16 well, years old? Well, I think, uh, well, I was in, uh, in Zimbabwe at the time. That's where I was brought up. And, uh, uh, and I think I realized probably at that age that um, I was fairly ill-disciplined and so at school and the like. And so working for other people was never really going to be where I ended up. Um, uh, so I started off really like most people do, trying to sell at things like markets, uh, um, selling fruit and veg, if you like, at markets, and uh, uh, and then trying to move on to sell anything that I, I could have. So I even tried a bit of fur- selling second-hand furniture at one time. That was a, um, a terrible. I failed that <laughs> miserably. Um, but I suppose it really started when I got, I came over uh, to the UK or came back to the UK at age 21, and um, uh, I. I, I Obviously, I needed to feed myself because I was away from the family now. They're all back in. So, so you came on your own to the UK? Yeah. It was interesting because I came over with, um, I, I'd left when I was a baby. So uh, I came over with a, um, a backpack and, and about 50 pounds. I'd never been to London before. So um, I had no clue how I, it was a one-way ticket as well. So, so how long <laughs> did 50 got? pounds last? Well, uh, I thought it would last me at least a week. And I think it lasted me about a day and a morning, if that. Um but I was very lucky because I, uh, when, when I came off the, I wandered around Victoria Station to begin with because I thought that was like the centre of London. I was a real, it was <laughs> terrible. I had this great big sheepskin coat on. Anyway, it was, uh, so, uh, it was like some country bumpkin arrived in London. But anyway, I, I found my way out of Victoria Station and, um, and got walking around and found some building sites that someone had told me to go to and got a job there. But sooner or later... Um, I, I started uh, doing any job that I could pick up and then started to work and finding ways that I could work for myself. And I think my first real business in the UK was uh, selling uh, printed T-shirts for schools, you know, with their logos on and either printed or woven onto their, um, uh, uh, onto their shirts. And uh, really just trying to set up a business doing that. I found people who would supply them and then got on the got on the phone and phoning around with primary schools and secondary schools to see if they would bulk buy uh, those things. And, and a lot did. It just seemed to be a market at the time. So uh, that gave me a taste for it, Liam, I think. And from there on in, I just I sold fire extinguishers uh, for a while. So I bulked, I bulked bought fire extinguishers and um, sold those to commercial premises uh, door to door. And that was quite lucrative for a while. But um, So you, you... Sorry, I've got this image of you carrying... Lots and lots of fire extinguishers oh, I to people. I, I had a suit, so I had suitcase of, of um, uh, not massive, great big fire extinguishers. Obviously, that's but I had suitcases of samples of a lot of handheld 
fire extinguishers, even for cars. Uh, but I gave up that business because uh, I, I was walking down, this was in London, I was walking down a road in London and a car a few meters in front of me caught fire. I mean, that was like manna from heaven for me, wasn't it? Because here I am trying to sell fire extinguishers. So I rushed towards it like a hero and put out the car with one of my fire extinguishers. The person who owned the car was ever so grateful. So I said, would you like to buy one of these fire <laughs> extinguishers? And they said, no. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, so I thought, oh, I'm not onto a winner here. So I gave that up and uh, yeah, moved on to something else. And what was the next thing after after that business? Oh goodness! Um, uh, well, I went back onto markets then, and uh, uh, looking at, at any of the markets that I could sell, uh, and we uh, kind of going back to t-shirts uh, then. But we had um, uh, uh, pre-printed t-shirts. This was in partnership with somebody else uh, selling t-shirts to and uh, printed t-shirts, right, with band names on them a lot of the time, or or rip off um, logos on them. And not that it was illegal, of course. So. Oasis and uh, well, Blur and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, you know. that. Uh, well, yeah, this was a bit before their time. <laughs> <laughs> Showing my age now. The Beatles? Um, there was a bit more Frankie Says going on around oh. that time. <laughs> anything else. So, um, uh, yeah, so uh, I did a bit of that. And, uh, and then uh, I, I got a job, interestingly, uh, going around France building silos. Um, which was an odd thing, but it was in the south of France. It was really lovely, warm weather. So I did that for, I think, about six months, um, uh, earned a lot more money, and, uh, and then came back over to um, uh, London and tried to start a travel business, and that failed terribly. Uh, I, I had it nearly going, but I wasn't really equipped to, to, to take on the travel business, and the internet started to, uh, or ticketing and whatnot, started to become um, a problem. So... Um, but then I met my uh, I, I met my wife who comes from Grimsby and she um, she persuaded me at the time I was working for newspapers by this time by the way I decided to go into that uh, into that line of work and uh, and she persuaded me that um, that Ryby Square was better than um, Trafalgar Square and uh, I should come up here and, uh, and and live here instead so that's what we did so I'm here now. And how did you meet your wife? So if you were in newspapers... Yeah, well, she came over from Grimsby. She used to work at the Grimsby Telegraph. And ah. uh, she came over because... Do you remember Today newspaper? No. No, okay. It's, it's really <laughs> terrible that you're so young. Uh, to Eddie Shah uh, launched the first full-colour newspaper in the UK. Um, and uh, uh, there was colour on every page. Before that, you could only have colour on a certain amount of pages. You might not remember that. Um, and uh, so this was a great big thing in the UK and uh, I, uh, I joined at the launch I was part of the launch team to to set it off and it was marvelous to be on the commercial side of a newspaper like that and Linda my wife from Grimsby left the Telegraph to come down about a year later to join that company as well and that's where I met her and they said you need to look after this new recruit so I still am. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you took you the job on very seriously. I, I, well, yeah, you've got to throw yourself into these things completely. Yeah. And now, uh, well, you still were involved with papers when you came back yeah. to, to Grimsby. Yeah, I did. Well, I, I was at the time, I think when I left it, I'd been through Today newspaper and then I'd moved on to the, I'd moved on to the Guardian newspaper. So I worked there for a good period of time. Um, uh, I was managing a sales team because uh, I found I had a bit of a flair for that. And the Guardian newspaper is such a marvellous training ground for that kind of thing. It's a established newspaper. It was, uh, it was an experience. It really was. I learned a lot from there, as much as you can from a corporate. So when I left there to come and move up to this part of the world, I worked for the whole Daily Mail and then uh, for Grimsby Telegraph, where I think, 
how long was I there for? A good um, 10, 15 years, I think. And uh, I ended up being managing director for the last five years of Grimsby and Scunthorpe newspapers. And then I left there and uh, and started up my own business again because by that time I was bored of working <laughs> for other people. <laughs> and I had enough of that, yeah. And so now you're involved with um, a social enterprise. Yeah, so now, because um, I, I ran the, the Cleethorpes Chronicle for a period of time, 10 years, and that was well and had its time. But like any good business, when you run it, you need to know when the market is right and when the market starts to, to shrink, uh, which it has done, and a print advertising market yeah. has done, when, when is there a good time to get out? And, <laughs> and uh, But while I was doing that, uh, I set up this, um, it was opportune really, um, uh, I set up the, so, the social enterprise called E-Factor, that is entirely focused on supporting people who want to set up their own businesses or who have set up their own businesses. And that's really important to me because, you know, if, if the help that we give to businesses now, if I'd have had that back then, some of the choices I made, some of those businesses that absolutely bombed, I might not have done that. You know, I might have had someone to talk to that could have persuaded me otherwise, rather than a, a someone who was trying to sell me it or, or a bank manager who was trying to get some money across the table or whatever. Yeah. So as I, this, this, this company now that's been set up, I said, 10 years ago is uh, it, it almost feels like it's full circle I've taken everything that I've learned and now putting it into into place it's great I love it so did this idea for the for EFAT to come to you out of the blue was it something you were thinking about for a while no 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 it wasn't you know interestingly uh, you know sometimes you just got to say yes to stuff yeah, yeah. Yep. and that's how you yep. get on and uh, I'd left the um, the Grimsby Telegraph and uh, I'd set up another <laughs> Prolifically set up a company called Credo, uh, which was trying to, uh, like a lot of people who leave corporates, they set up themselves as a consultant of some sort. Anyway, I'd set up Credo. And I'd been, because I believe that when you live in an area, you have to roll up your sleeves and get involved, whether, you know, in, in unpaid for work. Then uh, I was part of the LSP that it was at the time, this basically public-private partnership of volunt voluntarily getting involved in how you can drive the, the area forward. And they had a chance, North East Lincolnshire had a chance to go and um, enter a competition, if you like, a pitch for uh, money to support enterprise for the area. That's what they had the, the chance to do. And they came to, they, they, of course, they employed consultants. And some consultants from London or somewhere wrote this lovely big report on how that, what they would take to try and win this, win this, this bid uh, in, uh, from government office. And uh, they said, oh, Mark, would you have a look at this just to tell us what you think, maybe add a few ideas? And I don't mind saying it was, it was appalling. If, if, if you were to take Enterprise and that report, they would be at the other end of spectrum of, of what was exciting and engaging and, or entrepreneurial. So I told them that because you have to be honest. And this is when the big moment came because they said, well, do you think you could do any better? And I said, yes, I, of course I think, well, yes, I can. And so they said, right, well, then do so. And so I led that bid down to London along with the, uh, uh, one of the directors from the council. Went down to London, did a presentation to the, the uh, chairman of Orange and uh, someone from the Treasury and a whole lot of private sector people. And we won. We won the money. And so the whole, the whole idea of our bid was if you give us enough money to refurbish or build some capital, some assets, some buildings, we will never need money from you again. 
we'll use that money and we'll, we'll, we will generate entrepreneurial behavior. And they went, really? absolutely, and that's what they did. And we won the money and we came back and we built places like this village and the business hive and other places and that's how our social enterprise, and then I set up eFactor to bid to run that, run that project as it was. And, uh, and that's what we did. And, and we survive now. We don't have any money from government anymore unless we're running a contract. We survive in our own right. And that's great. That fills me with joy. I, it comes across. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you so always I get carried away. I, but I, I, well, I don't think carried away. I think you're, quite, you're passionate about local business. Mm. I think everybody knows that. Mm. Anyone who has ever met you. Mm. Um, I, lo- I love the sales tactic of saying to the funders, if you provide us with the funding, we'll do something that we won't have to come back asking for more money. That's, yeah, very clever. It's got to be right, hasn't it? Because governments, that's what they fear, having yeah. to pay out. And that's what's happened. <clears throat> it, up and down the country, except in Northeast Lincolnshire, which, by the way, has just been shown to have, in the whole of Lincolnshire and East Riding, and Hull and East Riding, has been shown to have more startup businesses than any of the places in across Greater Lincolnshire. Some figures just came out recently. I'll, I'll send those to you. you yeah, yeah, up. send them over. It just shows that if you, if you can get behind entrepreneurs and startups in a way that isn't controlled by a, some kind of contract or tick box, but it is, is entrepreneurial, you do it in an entrepreneurial way, then you can succeed, unlike other areas who have relied on public sector delivery of business support based on a contract that starts and finishes and then that support falls away it that's not what's required ongoing consistent meaningful advice that's what's needed so when you when you said yes Mm. did you envision now where everything would be in terms of how big e-factor is how many members you've got all the businesses you've helped support yeah I, i i don't you know, I'd like to have. I'd like to sit here and say, "Well, I knew this was going to happen." But you'll know because you've set up and you're running your own successful business. Uh, you hope about certain things, but within three months of you setting up a business, it starts to be different to what you thought it might be. There's no doubt about that, and it can uh, change pretty quick. Oh, I can, can't it? Yep. And you have to respond, and that's so. It's no good thinking. Well, that's my target, and if I don't hit that, it's not going to. I'm not going to achieve it. You have to. Be flexible, I think. So over the last, uh, let's let's pick five years. Mm. What are the biggest challenges you've found with running a social enterprise yeah. for uh, how many members now? Uh, three, well, two hundred ninety-eight. I think we've Ooh, got now. close. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, we're just going to North Lincolnshire, so that'll soon go uh, surpassed. Yeah. So what, what would you say are the biggest challenges that you've faced? I think. And we still face it. I think that one of the biggest challenges we have is trying to convince the business community that what we offer, or although it is um, very often free at the point of use, that it is uh, just because it's free, it doesn't mean it's poor quality. Yep. So trying to convince people, it's taken a long time to convince people that when we put on a workshop with a speaker from somewhere outside some expert who's been touring the world on uh, giving a presentation or a workshop when we bring them to Grimsby and we say to the business community come and see them you don't have to pay a lot of people assume that oh well there's something in that I'm not really sure that that's uh, kosher I'm not when it absolutely is yeah almost kind of 
lowers the value because you've you've not given it a value. Well, you've not said it's this is the fee you have to pay, yeah. the entry price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that is a, but that goes against our principles because the, so for example at the business hive, uh, people often talk about well why have you got that membership uh, entry level at say twenty five pounds a month with and and I think we offer loads more value for money than twenty five pounds a month. So some people say well why is it that low, and it's not by accident that it's that low. It was. We, we we talked and just and and thought about that and we thought that if we take something like as a social enterprise supporting the business community our price point needs to be something that if you can't afford 25 pounds a month we probably can't be a value for you yet if but if you're in business and you can afford it i want it to be something that doesn't trouble you as a business i don't need it to be sitting on your on your profit and loss for you to debate whether or not you should you should take it up or not. I want it to be something that you look at and go, we can't do without that. Because that's what we're trying to deliver, something that you can't do without. If you don't see value in it, then we've lost it. Well, well, we've been a member for probably coming up four or five years. Yeah, and almost since we began, I think you guys have been. Yeah, I mean, and it, well, and it is it is very good value. All yeah. the things you get for, the, Thank you, yeah. for the monthly fee, uh, the networking alone, Food is always <laughs> it's always worth showing up it for, is. and we always use local businesses for that. And it and 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 it seems to it seems to make uh, seems to make sense. And uh, and I and I think that that uh, that twenty five pounds a month works for our business model. That's another important point that people that I want to try and get over to people that because it's small amount to you as an individual business, perhaps, or you see it as value for money, uh, so much value for money. Uh, that it still works for us because we work on volume we're only a good organization if we're impacting on lots of businesses if we're making an impact a valuable impact on lots of businesses so that means 25 quid a month for 20 40 50 businesses doesn't bring us much revenue we can't do much with that but when we've got 300 businesses all paying us 25 pounds a month we bring all that together and collectively deliver out to that group of people. That's immense what you can do with that kind of money. You can really produce something that you would, as an individual business, you would never be able to, to, to achieve. And I think that's the value. That's where it lies. So it's in the number of members, not on what they pay. So your business model must be then quite inherently scalable. Definitely. It it, it, it it just continues it, it, it's scalable because if you take what we've done in Grimsby if you add another 300 members we can take all of that that we've done and do it again in North Lincolnshire for example or in Hull or in Lincolnshire you could take this business model I just wish someone in government would understand this you could take this business model which means you invest at the beginning and you don't have to pay anything afterwards and create entrepreneurial cultures like what I like I believe we have in Northeast Lincolnshire everywhere. And that's what's needed. That's what's needed in this country is more entrepreneurs. Well, what's the stat? There's, there's more uh, small to medium enterprises in the UK than there is large businesses. Massively more, massively more. Mm. And the, if, if, if you measure uh, the, the, the prosperity of an area by how many people are employed or in full-time work, then you look at who employs the most people in England, in the UK. It's SME, small to medium enterprises, by far. 
I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're sick of hearing me saying it, but it's closing in on 90, in Northeast Lincolnshire, it's closing in on 90% of adults employed in Northeast Lincolnshire are employed by SMEs. Like that. 90%. Close, on, it's about 88%, something around those lines. ONS figures, that's where you'll find, this isn't just stuff pulled out the air. And, but that's not unusual for, for, for this town, for this country. If you can go to any town and you'll find that SMEs employ the vast majority of, uh, of people in any one area. Yeah, I'm, I'm just... forget that. I'm just reading a stat right now, uh, just just checking these figures. So as of last year, small businesses accounted for 99% of all private sector businesses at the start of 2018. Mm. Um, uh, total employment in SMEs was 16 million, so 60% of private sector employment. And the combined annual turnover of SMEs was 2 trillion, 52% of the private sector turnover. Yeah nationally that's um but why don't you know it's quite a big figure you don't you think small medium you think well it's going to be small medium percentage of the uk well that that's the thing liam because uh, if you consider that if a if a large business that employed 80 percent of adults in one area said you know we're having a few difficulties we might be running into trouble Every government office would be around that person, wouldn't they? You'd have ministers coming down to find out how they can help them. You'd, you'd have subsidies. You'd have everything you could possibly do. But when SMEs, this group of really completely different groups of businesses, say we're facing some problems, everyone says, oh, yeah, that's the SME community and does nothing. Uh, you know, it, it, as if to buy, by lumping them all together and calling them SMEs, that, that, that they're just one kind of business. And they're just not. They're hard. They're hard to get hold of. They they don't fit into any particular category. They don't they don't attend large meetings to talk about strategies and things. You, what they do is get on every day with their business because they have to do that because they're the people who they employ are counting on them to do that. They're not. They haven't got time to get involved with LEPs and LSPs and 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 discussions about the economy of the area. They just need the support, and that that's the kind of thing because I don't believe that enough people understand enough people in power or in policy making understand that and so they put a label on it saying sme and say well that's over there well so why do you think that is that they don't understand that well because it's too difficult to there isn't a box you can put it in where if you imagine you're sitting in whitehall and you think what can we well for the steel industry and for the food sector, this is what we'll do, and that, and that's nice, and you can write a good report on that. If you really try and get underneath what SMEs do, it would blow your mind because there are so many different types of people with different needs that the only thing you can do, the only thing you can do is on the ground, in the place, make sure that your area that you've got somewhere, obviously I'm referring to what we deliver, that that as somebody who is good enough that you can walk in as an SME and say, this is the problem I've got, how can you help me? And they'll be able to, if they can't help them, they'll guide them to where they need help. That's what they need, instant. You know, Liam, as a business yourself, a person who's an entrepreneur who set up this really successful business, if I'd said to you five years ago, right, what help are you going to need this year? You would have, oh, well, I don't know, but what would be good is if you had someone on the day that you needed the help, you could pick the phone up and say, I'm facing this, what do I do? Or who do I, or, that's what you need. And we, that's what I think we offer and that's what's needed. That's how you manage and help SMEs. Yeah. So how, 
So E factor is how many people? How many do you? Fifteen people. Fifteen people. Yeah. And obviously, you're very passionate about local business. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do they all share the same level of enthusiasm? How oh, do you? How oh, do you? Uh, no doubt. <laughs> Well, we we have a we have a um, there's a couple of things that we that we um, try and ensure exists in our company at all places and at all levels. First of all, we have a real uh, flat structure. In there's the best way to call it. We have a saying there that everything is everyone's responsibility. So it's not down to me or to a receptionist or to a business advisor or to a property manager just to do their particular job it's down to all of us to be able to deliver what we're here to deliver and that is meaningful support to SMEs everything we do is that so let me let me take from Simon Sinek because he's obviously everyone loves oh, everyone loves Sinek. Simon yeah bit of that um, we really buy into the whole why thing yep. the whole idea of why we do it and uh, if you consider our belief as an organization what we're built on is what we've just been talking about that uh, and everyone any, every one of the, my members of staff will tell you that this is the case we believe that SMEs or the local entrep- businesses and entrepreneurs are so important that they need every bit of support that they need to meet their success that's what we whatever that success is it doesn't have to be riches it doesn't have to be just whatever you you define as success that's what drives us so we run lots of property but we run it in a way that meets and helps and supports local business we have a business club but we run it in it for exactly the same purpose we have facilities management now we run that with exactly the same purpose everything we do if it doesn't move us towards that aim that belief achieving that belief then um, we don't do it and no action of any member of staff who works with me at eFactor would do anything to the detriment of that belief. Um, I could say that a hundred percent. Well, it's well that. So where does that come from? Would you say that's your leadership? Have you do you clearly define the vision and the mission statement of eFactor? Do people get that before they walk in the doors? Do they have to be drilled into them? Do yeah. the staff get it? I, I uh, yeah, I I have a. a I do be, how to put this you, you say visions and mission statements you know and I get how important those are and I certainly have um, I have this thing called a plan on a page uh, that everyone buys into plan, a on, plan a page. on a page yeah. I'll show it to you one day if you like yeah. it's, it's very straightforward and it's done with with all of us together uh, and it starts off with a, um, a, a vision this is and it's you know a, a few sentences not some great manuscript this is what we're, this is our purpose, our core purpose, if you like, uh, a vision that describes what that core purpose means when it's successful. What does it look like? And then underneath that, come we break that down into themes and then uh, a key um, something called critical success factors. I don't know if you've come across this before, and then that turns into actions that we're going to take over a period of a year. So, so always a critical thing. success, so that critical objectives type. Yeah, goal, that comes goals. later. Yeah, well, that comes after. I'm not explaining this very well because you really it's quite a big thing that you need to see in a short space of time. But in a nutshell, what it does is take what would be a vision. But you 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 surely seen sometimes people write mission statements and visions and they put it on a frame and they put it on the wall, but no one else knows about it. The MD might say, oh, "Look at my lovely vision." 
they've probably had theme parties with directors to try and sort out what that vision might be. And they're usually pretty fluffy and don't yeah. actually mean anything. They have yeah, nothing I've about them. them. And then you ask someone at the front counter who's the one who's actually doing all the work, what's the vision of this company? And they don't know because, you know, they... Yeah. I, I, that can't be right. I, I want the person at the front counter, every time they're there to make a decision about something that they have to do, that they're reflecting, is, is this going to move us towards what this company stands for? Or but Everyone's got to do that. So we ha so in a nutshell, it takes a vision, like because you have to have one, where you're going to go, what's your... And it, it, it uh, breaks it right down to every action that you take. So it breaks it down to objectives and critical success factors. So everyone can see that when you're taking an action they understand that you're doing that because it moves you a bit closer to that vision everything and that means that the the um, the admin assistant that we've got working in a, on a particular project they don't have to come running up and down to somebody to ask whether they should do a or b because they what they can do is look and say well if i do a that moves us in that direction so that's what i'm going to do and that's what we try and give over that's what that's vision in action, really, isn't it? Vision in action. I yeah. like that. Yeah, there you go. So, I really just thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you provide that to all the team? They've got a, like a paper copy, or is it on a yeah somewhere they can be reminded of it? Yeah, they've, everyone's got a paper copy. It's on our what, what, on our shared drive nowadays. You, you need to get into digital, this IT. Digi oh yeah, yeah. digital copies. <laughs> the way forward. Surprise it, you know. Uh, yeah, so uh, everyone's got access to it on uh, on the shared drive, and we talk about it every time we have um, uh, uh, company meetings. We we come back and and refer back to what we were trying to achieve and how far we've how far we've uh, moved forward. Because um, you were saying about leadership and and whether that's that's the thing that drives it, uh, the vision. You know, do I give out the vision? Well, I, I'm sure at some point uh, you have to have somebody that gives a vision for, uh, in in order for people to to, to coalesce around. I suppose. But that's where, pretty much where it stops. Le leadership is not a, it, I think we're past the days where you've got some MD or CEO sitting in an office and saying, I'm, I'm the leader, follow me, this is where we've got to go. That belongs some time back in the past. Uh, leadership is, it's everything, it's everyone's responsibility to do it. I've got a saying, it's on my wall actually, I've got to tell you, I don't know if you've seen this. Um, and it's, uh, I think it came from Peter Glenn, was one of the, I think it was him. And um, it says, either lead, follow, or get out of the way. Now, it, whoever you are, whoever you are in a company, whatever company you're in, you must be doing one of those three things. There's nothing else. So you're either leading something. So if you're an admin assistant or you're a salesperson or whatever, you're either looking at something and say, oh, I could take, I'm going to show the way on this. I'm going to break some ground I'm going to do something new I'm going to drive this initiative forward whatever it is you're either leading or if you're not leading you're looking at somebody else leading so how can I help that person who's doing some really good stuff with that how can I follow them and give them the support so that's that's great followership is just as important as leadership you can't have leadership without followership can you so we've got to learn to be good followers and if you're none of those things you've got to question what the hell are you doing you're, you must be standing in the way of somebody who's either trying to lead or trying to follow. Because if you sit there and go, well, I'm not following them, I'm not doing that, but I'm just going to sit here and fold my arms. Well, get out of the way because you're not contributing. So I think it, I've never found a time when anyone that works in my organisation or indeed any organisation doesn't have to fall into one of those three things. So that's what I ask. I like that. It works for me. Lead, follow or get out of the way. Yeah.
quite a clear instruction. Yeah, it makes sense. It? It's it's uh, yeah, you can't really get confused with that. No, yeah, where <laughs> do you stand? And and also, Liam, when you say to that, when you give people that, if that's part of your culture of an organisation, that leadership is not a thing that you wait for some iconic person to do, some heroic leadership person to do. When you stop thinking about that and you say to people, leadership is your responsibility as well, then you give people the permission to start innovating and thinking of ideas and taking responsibility because everyone's responsible for everything. Yeah, we, that, that uh, reminds me of, so we, we do something here, so... Uh, every two weeks, normally, we do a, a, a one-to-one with each member of the team. And one of the questions we ask them is, what opportunities have you thought of, have yeah. you come up with, have you seen? Just to try and get them in that frame of mind of, yeah. look, you're here to do whatever your, your role is, but actually everyone's role is, how can we better the business? And have you? is there anything from a business perspective that, that you could bring to the table that we as the, yeah. the leaders, the management team may not have come up yeah. with. Yeah. And actually that was quite um, a turning point because two or three things pretty quickly came out of that process. We were like, well, actually, yeah, the, that staff member works in this area of the business all the time. So they've got a much better insight. Yeah. And they've said, well, I think we could maybe do that a little bit better if we just did this. Yeah. So we, we probably pulled out two or three really key ideas that we've forged forward with and, and created a couple more yeah. services and products. I mean, this idea of the of the podcast and the media room that we yeah. developed was just literally a, a random conversation that someone in the team had. It wasn't like a grandmaster plan yeah, of yeah. this is what we're going to do in seven yeah. months. Yeah. Um, it was kind of a oh I've seen this could yeah. we do that? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah that would work. Um, and it fit in with our our business model. Yeah. We yeah. provide this service. We can do it for clients. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, d- I get that. So that we, sounds we d- really good. <clears throat> that sounds just how it's the one to one thing works well for us, um, mm. and I definitely recommend other businesses do it. Mm. How you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, you go over the mission and the vision and, and the, the objectives and stuff with the team. Yeah. Is that a an annual thing, a, a six monthly thing? Well, how how we, do you schedule? We it? have. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, we, we we set out to have quarterly company meetings, but that. After the after the first two quarters disappeared, yeah. <laughs> that went by the wayside. You know, best laid plans and all that. Um, uh, it, not that we don't think it's important. It's just we got lots of stuff going on, and we're not a big company, so we, we it's not as if we're missing out on communicating and talking. So um, it, it's ended up being, if we're lucky, twice a year. But if not, then once a year we bring everyone together for the whole day. Um, but I don't really think that's the only time we communicate with people because it. Uh, for example, we have um, each. We've got divisions now. That sounds really grand, doesn't it? Um, uh, but th- so all the team who look after the business hive in particular meet every month and they sit and talk about their particular um, plans on a page and what they want to be, what they are trying to do, and how it fits in with the rest, and how far they're moving towards. It. And so does the property uh, division uh, and the, and the business division as well. So we we commu- we we're talking all the time. It's just um, it's easier to get together in small groups than it is to try and bring so many people together. And how do you manage the different divisions? Do you are you involved in each of the meetings that they have or yeah. do they just report back to you on the... I'll, no, they, they, there's no there's no real reporting back, to be honest. It, it's, um, it's, now you ask that question, it sounds a bit strange. <laughs> How do I manage it? I don't really because... Uh, so Sam runs a business hive and, and, and Tim runs business and Natalie runs operations and property. I don't need um, to be involved so much, I, I suppose, 
um, which is a good thing because whenever I get involved, I end up <laughs> causing more trouble than than it's worth. Perhaps just just because that's what happens. If if you only dip in and out of something, you end up. Um, yeah, you can uh, you can almost well. You need to be one of the the three things. Yeah, Get out of the way, maybe. Absolutely, that's a very good point, Liam. That's uh, there's more getting out of the way for me to do. But um, but I always there is ne- again the culture of the company can't be that uh, you you if you want to speak to somebody you have to have an appointment or seeing the MD is a really serious matter. Well, that would be that would be awful to have that. Yeah, there can there can never be a time that somebody that I won't walk into uh, into any part of the business and be able to sit down and have a cup of tea with anyone at any time and have a really meaningful good chat and they should never and they would never feel um nervous about saying do you know i've been thinking about this thing and i think we should do that they should never feel that otherwise if you turn that into a well let's have a meeting an event then you know it, it it's not it doesn't it doesn't encourage people just to come out with things and take risks and have a conversation they are after all adults all of them so you know i don't imp- we don't employ people just so i can tell them what to do otherwise i'd employ lesser people i employ people who know what to do yeah better than i do sometimes i think a lot of a lot of businesses um don't always follow that suit no, they like they like having minions yeah <laughs> yes. what a mistake that is yeah so um one of the things i'm interested in is y- you said you've got multiple sites and you've got a new site that's going to be coming mm. soon so that's north Lincolnshire, so in scunthorpe yeah yeah how do you how do you get effective communication between multiple sites where people are physically divided yeah that's a that that, that is a real challenge i have to say i i think uh, even in lesser distances at one point we had a, a bit a few more staff and we um we had uh, sites within Grimsby, two sites within Grimsby, um, three sites actually. And uh, it wasn't long before people started to form their own, um, not clique is the wrong thing, but uh, an expression came out of, uh, that people started to use, which was, um, I'm being left out the loop. Now, I didn't even know that a loop existed, but before I knew <laughs> it, about three loops existed. And I wasn't in any of them, but uh, they felt that they weren't in those either. So it, it can happen really uh, just gradually. And suddenly you find yourself with uh, groups of people who feel that they don't belong to another group when all you wanted was just one group, one loop, well, something better. Um, so you have to work hard at it and recognize that although you put all these things in place and you, and, you, uh, and you try and build the culture of the company that's all together, when you physically separate them, it will start, you have to work harder to make sure that they feel part of, that everyone feels part of whatever. And that works two ways, you know. We're opening in North Lincolnshire, we've got some offices there now. And so there are, uh, Sam and Joe, for example, are working hard in North Lincolnshire to, to make the hive uh, presence felt. And you can already see that they're out there a lot of the time. And just that physical separation is caught, not, not that they would ever say it, of course not, but you, I, you, I can feel it. I can see them thinking, well, that's Scunthorpe and that's Grimsby, and I never want that. So I'm going to have to work harder to make sure that I take people over there, that people, so that people in Grimsby feel just as much ownership over Scunthorpe and love for what's happening in Scunthorpe as they do for what's happening in Grimsby. And that will happen, but I have to, I have to make it happen. You have to allow it to happen, shall I say, or facilitate it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, um, we, we've not had that issue yet, but we are kind of experiencing it a little bit 
with um, remote working. Yeah. So some of the team, you know, they might uh, they might be just trying to get their head down working on something from home. So they have laptops or they want to go to a coffee shop. They, they don't have to do it from home. Um, and if they do it for an extended period, yeah. you know, a week or two out of the office and then they come back. I mean, we're a very close-knit team, so it's not a mm. big problem. But um, it's very easy to get out of the loop yeah. of, uh, I don't know, it could be you're organizing uh, drinks. And if that person's not in the in the office, they're not, it's not they weren't invited, but they weren't part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So we use, um, we use a, a communication tool called Slack, yeah. which is free. Um, there is a paid version, but we don't need to use that. Yeah. Um, and it's like, instant messaging like MSN messenger back in the day and we find that really useful so we have different channels on there that are publicly available for everyone in the team they can yeah. chip in yeah have their voice heard join in a conversation whether it's project related whether it's socially you know so it could be about organizing drinks and they do it in that channel mm. and even the per- people who are working at home can see ah oh, right they're talking about drinks on Friday yeah yeah I'm in yeah. count me in I'm working from yeah. home but I'll, I'll meet you at the yeah. docks beers down the road or wherever yeah. it might be yeah um so yeah definitely i mean if you guys aren't using anything like that at the minute yeah i think that will help because email doesn't work i hate email (laughs) i know you do i know you do Liam. the rest of the world's yet to catch up with you on that point so uh, i mean but we use to be honest we use whatsapp for that uh, oh whatsapp thing yeah okay so we have a group a company group a company whatsapp group yep and uh, where most of the social stuff happens so you we send stuff over that and various funnies and things yeah so everyone get kind of gets caught up in it not everyone likes using it to be honest not everyone's up for using it but um uh, but it's a more social thing i suppose so that's where but we could use it more actually thinking about it so yeah the uh, whatsapp's good um we i know the team here have a whatsapp group for the uh for the gym so we (laughs) we recently uh bought everyone gym memberships oh nice Um, one yeah, I was kind of thinking, right, long-term planning. Uh, what's one of the things you definitely need for a business to be successful? You need staff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's one way to make sure staff are healthy and live a long time and, you know, yeah. are, are able to do their job and turn up? Um, well, they need to be fit yeah. and look after their bodies. So we yeah. need to do something to encourage that. And, yeah. and we discussed it with the team and they were actually, I thought they'd be quite hesitant to it. Like, oh God, do we really have to do that? <laughs> but... Actually, there was um, a massive uptake. Everyone really wanted to do it, including someone who'd never been to the gym in their life. Wow, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, or encouraged by their peers, no doubt. Too. That's it. And then they, they, on their own, created their own WhatsApp channel, and they're, they're kind of encouraging each other in the gym. So I went this morning, and I did yeah. X many yeah. miles on the yeah. bike or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's good. And it, it that's it's made a big impression, I think, on team bonding. Yeah, and retention as staff, I imagine. Of well, good- I hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a little perk. Yeah. Um, that the government still wants to tax you on. Yeah. <laughs> filling out <laughs> yeah, those yeah, uh, those forms at the end of the yeah. year, but um, yeah, th- I think it's a worth difference, it. though, don't they? Those little things they make a difference. People often go on about well, the pay levels and what, and of course, pay is important. I get that, but you can make such a difference by doing things like that that you've just described can impact so much. It's not. It's not just about the money. It's about what you're saying to your staff and how important you think they are by doing that. I think that's a huge message. It really is. 
That's it. I, I, I agree. I, I, it wasn't a very hard decision, to be honest. No. no, um, no, no. It's one we were thinking about for a while, and there's lots of other benefits that you can do. I know yeah. a lot of businesses do um, do the typical pension stuff, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's health insurance, there's all the other yeah. things you can do, but I don't know. That we, we've got a long list of things we want to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, do it. It's got to be affordable. It's got to have that's, that's it, yeah. Even having happy staff for a bankrupt company, is it? it yeah, really that's, <laughs> that's the trade-off. Um, yeah. Okay, so what I'm interested in, your CEO of of uh, eFactor. Okay. So what's a typical week look like for, for you? Is there a typical week? Is it lots of firefighting well, or are you quite organized and quite a creature of habit? How does it sorry, work? just the word me and organized. In <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not organized um, uh, uh, at all. I normally have a, a, a diary that range, it's n- normally full for a week. So a week ahead, maybe two weeks ahead. It's, it, it, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm, it's not a heroic diary. I don't like to, you know, people go on about how I can't possibly f- speak to anyone for. I'll book you in on April the second, like uh, you know, months it, ahead. Yeah, that's right. You, it, it can, you know, things can be done. But um, if, if I was looking at it ideally, it, it, the next couple of weeks uh, certainly it would be there'd be a lot in there, and it can range from seeing somebody who's uh, got in touch and said, "I'm thinking about starting up a business, and I have no idea whether I want to or not. I could just appreciate some." Ad- some advice so one of the it, it might be that they're spoken to me so i'll speak to them or the advisors have got stacked out so they need to, so i'll be speaking to people who want to start up their business or who are running their business or, and have um want some support want to take up a new opportunity or or are facing some challenges so the kind of the, the um the the coal face stuff and it's important to do that isn't it because if you don't do that then you just lose sight of it i don't do as much as i could and i'm sure i waffle a lot more than our business advisors who have to see lots of people all the time would. Um, so I, I do a lot of that. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to innovate the, for the company for the year ahead. So um, it's quite straightforward. We are um, a, a, a limited company. We need to make money. And, and some people might look at well, social enterprise. Why are you focused on Yeah, so, the, so the dynamic of a social enterprise is you can make profit. Yeah. The, but... Okay, so social, enter- <laughs> so social enterprise is exactly like your company. So take your company. It could easily, because I know that you've got a lot of good community values and your, your ethics are right and, and everything about your company is right. So you could quite easily be a social enterprise, but there's just one small thing, that you every profit bit of profit that you make has to go back into the company or the community that you're serving. So you, there is no person in a social enterprise that's allowed to take any of that surplus money and put it in their pocket. In no, in, in the form of dividends and no dividends. Okay. There can be no, there can only be salaries. That's the only thing you can that you that would ever benefit an individual is someone who's paid to do a job there. Everything else must go back into the business community. So um, I'll only employ people who I think can either a benefit the business community through their expertise through their support through the help or b make me enough money to be able to employ someone to help me help the business community mm-hmm. so it all comes down to the same thing so uh, my aim to make more money is uh, is not tempered by the fact that i'm a social enterprise in fact if anything it's driven even more so margins 
net gross EBITDA, all that sort of stuff. You're still getting involved in uh, uh, planning abs- for. Absolutely. I'm, I have a, I'm just in budgeting at the moment for, I've got to show my margins. I've, I've, I have a business plan that's got to show how much I'm making. But you know the interesting thing? If you had a board of directors that you had to report to, uh, uh, for example, I've got a board of voluntary directors, because uh, that's what a social enterprise has to have, a group of people. And how many people are in that? Uh, six. Okay. Six of them. Including me as one. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the difference is, I have to show that I'm really performing in terms of turnover because that's the nature of it, isn't it? You, you've got to drive to make revenue. Now, we all know that, uh, uh, that profit is what is sanity in business. We all know this. Um, slightly different for a social enterprise because what my directors or my people, my stakeholders, my customers would be saying is hang on, why are you making and keeping all that profit? The purpose of a social enterprise is to make as much money as you can and then spend it is on there a, services. Is there a period of time you have to spend it in? No. Okay. I, I could keep it for as long as I wanted to, but it would be unethical for me to ma- amass large fortunes. I, I've got enough to keep the company reserves. Every yeah. company has to have that. Yeah. But it would be wrong of me to amass uh, reserve, great big reserves uh, uh, without spending it on what I'm supposed to be here for. And that's to support businesses. So uh, I always show a business plan that ends up spending all the money that I've made or saving enough because I've got a plan for it that's visible and clear that's also going to help the community that I'm serving. That's the difference. That's the only difference. Yeah, it makes sense. It's but I think a lot of people don't really understand. No, no, no. Um, I don't have to. But the only thing that people have to, uh, I think, understand is that the People have looked at social enterprises and thought they were nice, soft, fluffy things before. Uh, I, I, my place is full of really smart business people. They know what they're doing. They help to all myself understand that bit. The only difference is that we are objectively making a, as much money as we can in order to give it back. And that makes us even more passionate about making money and feeling less uh, having less problems about it because we know if we're gathering money it's just for the greater good that's got to be a good thing so what's in store for uh, EFACS and the Business Hive in 2019? 2019 well we'll be expanding in Scunthorpe as you know we've already taken offices there that's just yep. the beginning of our plan so we plan to have a, a big presence in North Lincolnshire yeah I was at the launch event for the Business oh, Hive yes. in Scunthorpe yes you're right. very very um popular i mean that, yeah, was, that room it? was almost too small i know yeah with the amount of people pleased. that turned up yeah we're very pleased about that and we've had our first uh networking the third tuesday networking we're running our first workshop next week um with ben keaton who you've been and seen before um uh, so it, so it starts this is how we started in in grimsby and um, scunthorpe will get its own identity north lincolnshire its own identity and we'll continue to invest in that direction to make sure that we're expanding and the members from grimsby who well Basically, they can go to the Scunthorpe ones and vice versa. Yeah. It works right across. Unless you've got an office in Scunthorpe and in Grimsby, then you really, to be fair, you need to pay for both offices. Yeah, makes sense. But if you're just one, uh, if you're a company in Grimsby, then you're automatically part of Scunthorpe. And if you're just a company in Scunthorpe, you automatically become part of Grimsby. Um, uh, so I'm hoping, you know, I'm by the end of 2019, I'm hoping to be up there towards 500 members uh, by bringing in Scunthorpe. That's my that's my hope. Sam will kill me now that I've I've, yeah. I've stated that aim, but you know that's that's what what we what we hope for.
we aspire to. And that'll make a big difference because if I've got 500 people all paying membership, imagine what I can do across that, across that group. It's fantastic, the stuff that we could bring in for, and support we can bring. Do you know, let me give you an example. I just remembered. Um, a while, this is a few years ago. This, is, this answers a question about how people look at free stuff sometimes, but also about the value that we can bring in. Um, have you heard of Jonathan McDonald before? The name rings a bell. Okay, you'll have seen him on on, on Twitter. He's a, he's one of these terribly described future future futurologists at one point. But put that to one side. He talks a lot about uh, the development of what's happening in society. So he talks about um, spray on Wi-Fi. Have you heard about this before? No. So, so you've got nanotechnology in a can that's personalised to you that you've got it made up. And if you've got no Wi-Fi, you spray it on the wall and you can pick up it'll link to your phone or to your laptop so that you've got just your Wi-Fi that's there. <laughs> I know, that's what okay. I thought. He talks about uh, 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 um, technology and uh, 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 things that not that might happen but are currently in development, so are happening, if that makes sense. Yep. He's a great... Now, I had him come to Grimsby. He Before he came to Grimsby... Wellington Street in Grimsby, just off Freeman Street. That's where he was talking from me. It was during one of the business weeks. Before his engagement, before that, was in the White House in that, America. In the, a, the White the House. The White House. That was wow. his engagement before he came to Wellington Street. From the White House Grim to Grimsby. <laughs> and the thing, the interesting thing about it, we had about twenty people turn up to that. What? Twenty people turned up to oh, that. That's not. It's crazy. This was early days. We would that would never happen now no, because we, we've got more of a reputation and people know what we've got to deliver. Oh, what, was this a, a while? This was a way. This was a oh, good okay. three years, four years ago now. I think it was maybe even longer. And how many people was he speaking to at the White House? And I guess to the president. Or well, yeah, he had the well the president's staff. I'm not sure he, he didn't say whether Obama was there or not, but that, he was talking to the president's staff. But um, that's where his speaking engagement was. So Did he do the same? Same Talk. stuff. He was talking about the same stuff. He was showing examples of the same stuff. So how did you get him? Because someone who's was, just spoken we looking for speakers. He was. He's an. Inter, he's an English bloke. Yeah. And and we found him on the circuit. We said we're a social enterprise. We're just starting now. We're trying to help support entrepreneurs. Will you come and talk? Yeah, I'll come and talk for that. And you know, reduce costs that he could. Uh, that he, and so we got that. And uh, and that's what he did. Uh, and I, I, it was amazing to me the stuff that he was saying what he was talking about it was incredible information it was just disappointing that there were so few people there 20 lucky people 20 very lucky people I think but um, so I don't, know what, I don't know why I got to that point but <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 that's uh, that kind of thing is what we want to be able to do so you were talking about 2019 I want to be able to bring to more people uh, uh, more um, of that kind of level of information and learning and education to not just members of the hive, but certainly that you know that Sam and and um, that part of the company really focus on members. But I want, I have a very lofty ambition of raising up the um, the attitude towards enterprise across Northern Lincolnshire. Now I want all that thing we we're talking about at the beginning. I want people to recognise that. People like you and others who get up one morning and say, I'm going to go, I'm going to start up my own business. I'm going to put my house or I'm going to take out a loan or I'm going to, I'm going to do all this stuff and I'm going to employ somebody and I'm going to spend my money locally and I'm going to build it up. Someone who does that every morning, I want that to be an aspiration. I would love for it for schools and colleges to say, that's one of your choices that you could do. 
and we don't talk about that enough and that's really I want to push over that message that's why we've done some research recently which you'll uh, you know, known from peak B about that which I'll be launching later on in 2019 just to raise that game so uh, I, I, I want that to be I, I have to say that you know all this uh, uncertainty that's going on, let's call it that without mentioning the B word that's going on in the UK uh, I, I don't know and nor do I care to share an opinion of one way or the other what I do have an opinion of on is what damage the uncertainty is causing, not just to large industries who are car manufacturers or, or not just that, but people like you and I who are deciding, looking at our 20 employees and thinking, shall I invest in that or shall I just hang back a bit until I know exactly what's going on? Is that too risky? Because who knows what's going to happen? No one seems to be able to tell me. And people keep throwing in words like, well, if that happens, there's going to be a massive recession. Well, that then doesn't follow it up with anything. That worries me a great deal. And I think we, this is a, a, both an opportunity and a threat to businesses like yours and mine. And we need to be equipped, we need to be armed, and we need to be informed and supported to make sure that we take the opportunity and overcome the threat of whatever happens. Whether we go out of Europe or stay in Europe, opportunities and threats abound in that and we need to be focusing on how we can help people like you and me and the other 99% of businesses in the UK to face that that's what I think that's what I'm doing in 2019 <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be busy yeah. so yeah. Uh, well, you, you mentioned that survey um, mm. that, that we also filled out yes so thank, that you. Went thank you for that how many businesses uh, we're up to 450 I think now have filled have been yeah. through the survey so yeah and the have you looked at the data you're getting back the sort of answers to questions is it yeah so uh, 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 there's one i have seen some preliminary stuff i'm expecting the rest of it next week which i'll, I'll let you have a copy of but um is it next week the end of the month yeah so the end of this February, week. February. oh it is yeah, yeah, yeah okay uh, so towards the back end of this week this then. week yeah where is this year um uh, uh, one of the things i have found which i thought was really interesting in the preliminary results is uh they asked a question, well, we asked a question about uh, skills, because you know everyone goes on about that? Can't get the people, it's all terrible. SMEs, all those SMEs, is there a problem with skills? No, not really. It's not skills. We, don't, we, we can find the people we need if we need them. We can find those people. It, skills is not an issue for us. What's an issue for us is certainty. What's an issue for us is supply chain. What's an issue for all the other things that you know uh, about business being able to forecast ahead but that goes counter to what all the policymakers have been saying about what's happening in northeast Lincolnshire we've got a skills crisis well not according to this bit of research we haven't we have we at businesses like yours and mine are not being according to this research are not being terribly affected by a lack of skills lack of attitude of people that are coming in to work maybe that's something different but not skills I see you're cynical. Yeah, I, I think I may have filled in lack of skills is definitely something that we we struggle with in yeah. this area. Yeah, I thought everyone um, would, Liam, but... Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised that mm -hmm. that's not everyone's kind of top answer. Um, but maybe it's different for us because we've got a very high skill... Well, it's definitely different for us because one of the biggest problems I've always found is uh, web development. There yeah. isn't really much out there in terms of a course or, or a university degree that you can do that purely focuses on that. Yeah. A lot of it's self-taught. And that, that's great in a number of situations. 
but also throws throws up a lot of uh, difficulties with people having more of an opinion on their level of skill than uh, than actually yeah. where they are. So for us, skill shortage is an issue because it's not with any proper accreditation. There are for some other areas of our business. Yeah, marketing, for example, plenty of yeah. marketing degrees yeah. and courses yeah. you can do, but. Um, but what about the experience? That's the, the experience is the main thing. But the the problem in our industry is a lot of people leave. Um, they leave the area because if they if they are getting to the point where they've got experience, they're looking to go up the ladder, not down. And there yeah. are a lot of freelancers and small businesses um, in around Grimsby. But take take um, one of our biggest competitors, uh, probably last couple of years. They no longer don't uh, now now no longer don't really compete with us because they've they've changed their business model they've pivoted they've almost consolidated their team so yeah. we're now probably the only single big agency in northeast Lincolnshire yeah um, a lot of the other agencies have actually moved to Lincoln yeah to twin with the university to try and pull yeah. the the talent pool and yeah. an experienced talent pool from from the colleges and units and it yeah. you know it works for them. Um, we're looking at doing that with Grimsby Institute, trying to keep it local. Yeah. But I think that that for us is web development or development or, or software engineers, whatever you want to call yeah. them now. Yeah. For the way I see it moving forward, that's going to be a really big booming industry of people that are going to be needed. The likes of Amazon and eBay and yeah. all these big companies that they're who they're employed. They're not employing warehouse workers. No, no, absolutely. They're employing developers yeah. to build the systems, yeah. the robots, the yeah. stock management control, yeah. engineers. That that's you know they're the engineers of the future. We'll yeah, always need physical sure. engineers, but the digital ones. I, I can see a massive boom coming. But that, but it, but that's not a skill shortage for the area. That's a that's a development of the sector, isn't it? That's I something that's happening. It's right skill so shortage across probably the globe. There's there's yeah. there's a few yeah. companies trying to solve the problem. E learning's a big thing. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a couple of companies like Treehouse. Yeah, we've been following them for a long time. <laughs> but again, it's not quite the same. Um, but, but then, but forgive me for saying this. Then let's have a heated debate. <laughs> if that's the issue, and it is going to be an issue for the future, as you said, and it's probably an issue across the globe, mm. then the answer is not to say there's a skills problem. The answer is to say what can we do to make that different. And if you're one of the biggest agencies in in this area then you are in prime position to be the recruiter and developer of the new, the next generation of skills, trained, developed in the way you want them to be done. Laser red style people is what, so you're growing, growing your own. How you do that with funding and, and what involvement you have from educators and, and, but is accreditation really what it's all about or is it just the time that it takes to get to the, it's the, the time. level? It's the time. Yeah, I mean, accreditation's a, just a, a fancy stamp on, on something you've done but yeah I think for me that it's a slightly different kettle of fish for, for, for us it's very specific but uh, it's interesting that a lot of other businesses didn't say that Yeah, no, which is I a good thing so, yeah. because yeah. I think if they did say that I mean what's the answer if, if everyone's like no there's a skill shortage yeah. how do we solve it I know. who, I know. who yeah. does that well exactly and, that, and that's why because it's been a skill shortage for as long as I can remember people have been talking about skills problems skills, if it wasn't uh, engineers across the petrochemical industry and now it's those same engineers being moved over into the wind farm industry and the, the, the renewables industry rather 
Skills has always been an issue, but we can't keep going, look at the colleges should produce better people. And I've often heard it said, why are they just producing hairdressers? Well, of course, that isn't what they just produce. <laughs> they do produce hairdressers, but you know what? Hairdressers keep being successful and they keep, uh, they keep setting up and they keep supporting families because... Because the well, the the most robust you know there are two businesses who have survived recessions, two types of businesses through years, most successfully have been just level pegging through recession, good times and bad. You know what they are? I've already told hairdressers. You. Hairdressers one. being one. Yep. And uh, you and I wouldn't know much about hairdressers, but uh, nonetheless, we're, we're way past that. And the other one is fish and chip shops. I was going to say fish and chip yes. shops, but just that was going to be a, a throwaway, like no, jokey. It's, it's absolutely seems right. to be one on every corner. Well, that's right, because and they're there, and it's all very well us saying, "Oh, our hairdressers, what value do they add?" Well, they add a lot of value, and they're successful because in good times, people go, people say, "Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have my hair done." Well, I imagine people say that, yeah. "Got my hair done," and that's all great. And in bad times, they say, "Well, at least I'm going to have my hair looking all right." So they go to the hairdressers as well, and the fish and chips are both a cheap. Uh, thing alternative and they're also a treat which you have in good time so is it fish and chip shops just in this area or or no no that's that's a national thing Uh, fish and chip shops and hairdressers are the two most robust type businesses through recessions they know they neither drop nor rise up in the in good times they just are level good good things it's an interesting fact well i think it is where were, what were we talking about before I threw that? The, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> Skills. Yeah, so, Skill shortages. Yeah, so, uh, so I, I do think that we need to, um, uh, as, a, as an area, we need to start thinking a little bit more about, as a business community, it's no good saying year after year after year after year there's a skill shortages. If you look at places like Catch and whatnot, they're trying to do something about, about developing the engineers of tomorrow and creating apprenticeships. Well, from an SME business community if in the IT sector which I imagine and um, digital sector that's where a lot of the issues lie then the answer lies with you but you your sector mm. people like you and probably because you're the biggest in the area you leading it to say well what are we going to do what, how are we going to make sure that my business doesn't um, fall behind simply because I can't get people to work in it who've got the right skill set how can I make sure they have got the right skill set so. yeah I mean it's uh, it's not extreme long-term thinking, but it's almost generational. You're thinking, right, yeah. next level of junior developers or junior members yeah. of the team, they're coming up. They're probably, what, like 16 now, yeah. And yeah. two or three years. Yeah, it, I struggled, I'll be honest. I struggled with long-term thinking for many years. Yeah, yeah. It's only really in the last two or three that I've been able to yeah. not think long-term thinking as like this is a definite plan i know exactly what's yeah, going to happen but yeah. just get my mindset shifted into right don't think tomorrow next yeah. week next month yeah. think next year next five years how is that something you've been good at with long-term thinking it seems like yeah. if e-factors this successful and the the way in which your business model works with mm. the members you have to mm. be almost right we're not yeah. going to get 500 members overnight so it's going to have to be yeah x number of years down the line yeah i i think that's Lot, it, it, it is right. There's always a danger, isn't there, in, in looking too far ahead and, and tying yourself to something because uh, it, it, if, you, if it doesn't go the way you thought it would, then you, it, can, it can knock you off, off track. Um, but people like you who own the businesses, uh, it's, it's like people like you and I, 
in our businesses, it's likely that my role as part of the team, for example, at eFactor, my role, one of my roles is to be the person who looks a year ahead. Because I can be sure that the rest of my team, aren't ne that isn't necessarily their priority. And somebody has to. They're not going to thank me if I stop looking a year ahead and look inward to the business. And then there's a, there's a great big thing that's coming towards us that I didn't warn them about or I didn't prepare us for. So for sure, we have to look far ahead and uh, far enough ahead and decide that we're going to take risks uh, to make it work. And I think that's what you've got to do from a skills point of view. For me, it, you know that in a year's time, you're still going to be saying, can't get the people. And then you're going to be saying that in two years' time and in three years' time, you're going to be saying it. And if it impedes the growth of your company or even worse, takes you out of this area to a place where you, where you feel you can grow, then... Uh, that's not going to be a good thing. So starting now is to think, well, how, if I go into a school now and talk to them about Laser Red and the exciting things we've got coming up and talk, and, and maybe I can start picking out some of the select people who I could bring in as interns and give a bit of work experience and then with a view to moving on, then that's a good thing. It's a good thing to do. I agree. I think I have to start working on that plan. So uh, can I say something else? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I found something... Uh, uh, it was a BBC doc, uh, article that I, I read. I thought this was really interesting and quite pertinent to um, towns like ours. In, uh, in the USA, in the, in the Rust Belt in the USA, you know where the old industries used to be, towns like, smaller than ours even, were suffering in the same way. Young people didn't want to stay there. They wanted to go off to the bright light somewhere. They couldn't get the people to run businesses, to, to bring skills, and it was all... What they did have was lots of open space and countryside and, you know, cheap housing and, and sound familiar? That's, you know. And so what they did was uh, stop trying to keep get young people to stay. They encouraged young people to go, but went out to the people who had left five years ago and said, right, now you've had all that and you've got all that experience from the city and you've enjoyed that life and perhaps you're thinking about the long-term future. Why not come back? We've got open spaces. You can have a lovely big house here. We'll look after you. We'll help you set up in business. We'll make sure that you're, what is it? You've always wanted to run a coffee shop? We'll get that. What, an IT company? Well, you can run that. We'll give you free rates for a year. Why don't you come in? Because we want you back. And they started getting these returners coming back, thinking, change your lifestyle. I've done my bit. Now, now there's the value. There's got to be value in those people, hasn't there? So why should we focus on only the young keeping the young in place it's important as well of course but there are a whole lot of other people as well i think you're onto something there i'm just thinking back to um so we've been doing going through a recruitment drive recently and a lot of the people that um apply have moved back to the area they've either they're either from here originally and they've been down to london or another yeah. city and they've they've now come back they want either a different change of life or they've met someone they want to yeah. settle down or sometimes um their partner lives here um, they've met them somewhere else and they've both come back so it could be uni yeah. come back here so yeah. Um, yeah you might be onto something that's gotta be I think that's how the Mormons work <laughs> uh, is it? it's yeah not, I think they do oh something dear. similar so in the Mormon community because um, they're, they're quite insular in, in the way they, they work they're quite traditional you know, yeah. they still use horse and cow and they basically when the when the children or teenager gets to a certain age, they're given the freedom to go off for a year yeah, and experience yeah. the rest of the That's world. Right, yeah, I've heard and that, then yeah. they're given the decision. You now have a choice and this is a choice that you cannot change. You either come back and you're a moment forever or you're cast out and you, you, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Um, and apparently, and you would think 
well, you know, everyone kind of knows the lifestyle. They've seen the picture. Yeah, yeah. like, well, you know, they don't have mobile phones. Out of all the, I'm guessing they don't. Um, you'd think, well, the choice would be obvious. They would yeah, all get yeah. deserters and they'd all yeah. be, but apparently no. Most of them, a high percentage, go back wow. after this year of freedom. Um, obviously, their families are there and stuff as well, yeah, so they yeah. want to be with them. But yeah, this returners. My word. Uh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So the Mormon uh, business plan, <laughs> <laughs> something we can look at implementing in Grimsby. Yeah, I'm not sure I can indoctrinate our people in Grimsby before they leave. Yeah. <laughs> you can only go every year and you must come back. Yeah, I'm not sure. Or make but, the choice. But I think that, that probably is a, is a good way to do it because, you know, at the end of the day, people young people want to go and experience other things and they, yeah. they can't do all all of that within this area yeah. there's a lot in yeah. Lincolnshire but um, yeah. not not everything yeah so yeah. I definitely think that's probably something that we will look at yeah I think it's worth it definitely mm. definitely so just shifting gears a little bit yeah um, if you have to define a successful business in this area is there a is there a level what would you define as success? Do you think it's specific to the business? Do you reckon it's um, specific to the area? What do you think it takes to wow. be successful? Wow, that's a um, that's a that's an interesting question. I, uh, I think you you can't you can't define success either for an area or for a type of business or. Well, you can't define success for anything other than an individual, and that's entirely based on what it is that they believe to be successful. So, if you, your idea of success will be very different to what to mine, and my idea of success will be different to a lot of other people's out there. And the key thing is that people know what success means to them, not what they think it should mean uh, from elsewhere, because you can run yourself ragged trying to be the success that you think other people think you should be. And there are so many bad steers out there. If you look, in, you listen to, look at some of the business icons and, uh, or you watch The Apprentice or you look at and uh, read books by Jack Welch and you think, well, what you have to do is work 24 hours a day, not have any family life, kill everyone, and then you'll <laughs> be really rich. And when you look back, you'll go, look, I'm rich. And everyone will go, well, who cares? Because we don't even like you. And you know, you've got nothing. So you're not rich, actually, you're poor, you've just got a lot of money. So success has is, is got to be entirely dependent on what you consider it to be. And the only thing I could say is make sure you know what that is in your mind. Someone, there's a really, a word that I think sounds weak, but I wish it wasn't because it's what I believe is success for me. I was at Franklin College and we were talking to a bunch of really scares me rigid by the way but talking to a bunch of students about you know things that to do with business and, and, and success and enterprise and uh, I said to them they asked a similar question well are you successful and why and whatnot and my answer about are you successful was uh, well I'm content and I meant that as being that's an achievement for it sounds really kind of weak and well, well I'm content was well, that all you are well what do you mean is that all you are imagine waking up every morning and being content with everything being content with your family 
being content with the life that you lead, the work that you do, the social life you have. Imagine living a whole life of contentment. That's not a weak thing. That's success. That is success. That, that I could possibly live that every day. So if I was going to define it for everyone, it would be that you would be and everyone would be content with what they've achieved. If it, as soon as you get to content, that should be your success. That's what I think. Uh, I like the answer. I think one of the reasons people don't like using the word content, or at least um, a lot of the things you see about entrepreneurship and business owners is ambition and hustle yeah, and yeah. and grind and all these yeah. like words. And you know, some of it I think is a bit of PR. Yeah, and marketing's yeah. been for the person trying to sell I don't know, the book that they've just released yeah, or very much so. the trainers they've just endorsed. Yeah. But yeah. I I don't get the sense from a lot of business owners that that's really what they want. No. They just feel like if they don't say that's what they want, yeah. they're not a real business owner or entrepreneur. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, and it's a shame because I, I agree, content, it's not a weak word. I, no. I think content with a little bit of, content with passion so a passionate yeah. content person yeah um that's probably the, the way i'd phrase it because you know if i wake up in the morning i'm just content to the point where I don't really give a damn i'm just like, oh, i'll sack today off i'm oh, content yeah, that, that's different but if you're yeah, like, like i'm passionate different. about the thing i'm you know you're passionate about local small business driving yeah. driving um the benefits of e-factor forward to more businesses um but that, be, be but content with that as rather that's what than makes saying, me content exactly. having that passion wake up in the morning with that passion still there i wouldn't be content if i woke up in the morning thinking i can't be asked mm. i wouldn't that would that would drive me to distraction i would be thinking well what am i going to do next which would immediately mean i wasn't content and it's interesting to say that because you use the word passion that comes out a lot about entrepreneurs as well yep and uh, i find it really interesting uh, when we do this um, we have this thing which we lay on for anyone thinking about starting up a business we have a, like a one-day workshop that people attend and just talk about all aspects of starting up a business and stuff you have to think about and uh, one of the things we talk about is the traits of a of a person and passion always comes out the first thing, passion is always there and uh interesting because as you'll know uh, passion means suffering that's the that's what the word is passion is suffering yeah it is does it yeah, it does yeah that's where it comes from. Do you remember the film uh, Passion of the Christ? Do you remember that? Yep. Well, that wasn't about his sexual exploits, was it? It was about <laughs> the suffering of Christ. That's what yep. it came about. Passion means suffering. And, and it mean, when you're passionate about something, it means you are so wedded to it, you're willing to take the blows, to take the knocks, to do whatever it takes to make that thing happen or to, to achieve that thing. When you're passionate about something, you're happy to be able to stand in front of it and take, take the knocks. I, that describes it entirely. That's great. I think that's a that's a wonderful thing. So I, that's one of the words that I would use to describe a, an entrepreneur is someone who's passionate. How could you get by on 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 throwing yourself into something as you need to do when you're when you're building a business if you're not passionate for it? Because then you just think it might be a good idea. No, it doesn't work. No, no, I'll try something else. That's so I am passionate about my business and I'm passionate about the small business community and then you're passionate about your business and everything that you deliver. So if you if you wake up one morning and you're not content and you or you've had a bad day, let's put it that way. So at the end of the day you think, God, I'm not content with that day. Yeah. I suffered more than I should have done. <laughs> How do you what what do you do to, to get over that that 
hump. I'll just kick the dog or something. No, yeah. no, no, no. I never would. Um, uh, no. Um, well, I, I, I play music and I, I do stuff outside of work, obviously, because uh, life isn't can't just be about work all yep. the time. You said you played the drums. Yeah, I do. Same, yeah. same here. That's a great stress reliever, that is. Yeah, you get to smash a drum kit. You don't yeah. look angry if you smash a drum kit. No. You can <laughs> you conceal don't. it very, very well. Yeah. You look passionate about your yeah, music. exactly. You look like you're doing it right. <laughs> That's right. So I, I love doing that, and uh, I, I, I absolutely adore my family. I've got three kids who are all left home now, and uh, so that takes up that takes up, occupies a lot of my lot of my life. Um, I'm a big family person, so uh, I don't have. I do buy into. The, I don't. I don't think that you can be optimistic and enthusiastic all the time, but I do believe in that saying, Emerson, I think it was, um, that nothing in great, nothing great in life is ever achieved without enthusiasm and you know if you choose to do anything if i get up in the morning this is what i this is what drives me okay this is what gets me over those days that if i get up in the morning and go to work then i do that because i choose to do it that there is nobody making me do it and that goes for your employees as well by the way it's not just people who run businesses if you, the fact that your employees step into work every morning, they've done that by choice, haven't they? Because not everyone does. They could just easily phone you up and say, I can't be asked with your job or work. I'm staying in bed and put the phone. That, you, no one's holding a gun to their head to say that they must come into work. But they make a choice because of the value that that brings, both the, their peers and the money you pay them and the contentment they get from that. So it's a choice they make. Why would you ever do anything by choice that you then spend the whole lot of time whinging about? Or saying it well I didn't like doing this and isn't life horrible and it's awful and joining every pity party you can possibly find and I don't subscribe to that the minute I stop being passionate or getting up or choosing to do something I'll choose to do something else that's what will happen but you know that's just the way it is so other than work and other than family yeah do you do much reading you a bookworm? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I do. I, I don't. I must confess, I'm not a. I, I read some business books, but I, I reading for me is an es, in this an escape, if you like. So I read a lot of other stuff, um, uh, as well. But um, I've recently read a book. Yep, I, I remember <laughs> by Donald Miller. Miller, yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, and all about the, uh, the brand, the story of your brand. Yeah, uh, and it's a really interesting book because, and I like books that kind of challenge what you might have thought before, and uh, and, and 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 put it succinctly, and uh, that's what this book does. Yeah, building a story brand by Donald Miller. Thank you. Um, yeah. It's a book I've read. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it's good. It's challenging. Yeah, not to read it, but in terms of the the um, the concepts. Yeah. Of how to, <laughs> well, basically bit of background he was a, a writer yeah and you know every good story has a certain structure and he applied it to a business and said well if you do yeah. this you know it should help and the brand of your company can be enhanced by yeah. um i won't spoil the exact yeah way he does it but it's quite a unique way of putting the customer in a perspective where you are helping them to yeah. a certain degree and yeah. i read it and, and got it straight away and it, it kind of resonated but yeah putting it into practice was uh is harder yeah are it you is. have you finished the book yeah i finished the book and i've looked on the website and because they've got some help 
an yeah, aid on downloads the website, and you can download it. And I've tried started filling out some of the um, uh, some of the requirements on there to, to create your own uh, story brand or to, to to refocus your story brand. And uh, it is difficult. It what it what seems at the to make absolute common sense when you come to put it in practice, it starts to challenge you. But I think that's good because if it was easy to do, then you think, well, surely this is just obvious and I'll just do it and it wouldn't have any value to it but the fact that it it's challenging me to change the way I uh, position the company in terms of our PR and our promotion and the stories that we tell um, must mean it's it's going to have an impact it's going to be different and also not wanting to spoil it but I found it really fascinating how he took the idea of um, storytelling through film industry through in every in age-old storytelling and applied it to businesses by putting the customer in, in a certain place and you as part of that story, but not in the place where most companies put themselves. I'm trying to circle around the not yeah. not not give all away. Um, is that's the challenge because and I realise when trying to do it, we are so instinctively putting ourselves in as as the as the centerpiece. Yep. And it's when, not the right. It doesn't make sense right, if you no, really think about it. That's the wrong. Yeah. It's the wrong place, but. Yeah. I think um, the stories in which he, he gives and the positions in which he puts yeah. the client yeah. and the, the business perfectly aligns with yeah. E-Factor. It, oh, it does. It's, and that's why I think I've bought into that book so much. that Because uh, the books I do read, I'm a bit of a cynic when it comes, to, not a Simon cynic, a <laughs> cynical person, uh, uh, when I, especially when it comes to reading American business books. I, I tend to... Why, why is that, Mark? Well, I... <laughs> I, I, I What's can, wrong with the Americans? Nothing uh, wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> far be it from me. Uh, there's a lot to learn from the Americans, but I do find a lot of books that come over from America are all, um, they all have a very... Preachy? You know, kind of, yeah. yeah. And a bit, uh, if you think it, it'll happen and uh, build it and they will come. And uh, and, I, and I, I think it's not down to earth enough for the audience in the UK. Yeah, I, I, I'll admit, quite a lot of the books are all fluffy and they're mm. not much um, detail yeah so you walk away thinking right i get i can think about this but yeah. i don't really know how to implement and action it so yeah. some of the best books and this is why story brands actually really good is it gives you the very clear directions of right go and think about this put yeah. this together come yeah. back and then then you'll be on another step closer to where you need to yeah. be yeah i think that's right a lot of books right. don't have enough of that no actionable don't. points yeah. although there's been a couple that i've been reading reading recently so there's um there's one um by uh andy bounce called top dog okay and that has at the end of every chapter like right these are the things you need to now go and do and this is the script that we use for this and here's where you can fit it in the book but th yeah. it gives you like you should now write a script for your business so if you were to follow it through it's more of like a a workbook so you read what you need to learn then it gives you what you need to then do. And yeah, it yeah. moves on. I quite like those. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a bit more instructive. And yeah, instructive. Than a, mm. Helpful. Yeah. Rather than just ideas, which are great, but yeah. all and ideas bit, and no action well, is that's pointless. Right. And it's a bit like the difference between a, 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 a when you a speaker, a motivational speaker, and a, a, someone who really, an expert who runs a workshop, for example. So a motivational speaker, will leave, you'll leave the room feeling, oh, wow, that was brilliant. But as you leave the room, it, it dissipates until you get to your car and then you've forgotten a lot of what was said, but you felt a bit good about it, but you're not quite... And by the time you get back to your work, you're just getting on with stuff because nothing really was solid enough for you to 
put into action whereas a workshop gives you something more so you've always got to be conscious of that i think books are like that sometimes well i think that's probably a good place to wrap up okay any final words of wisdom <laughs> there's been some great facts i quite well, like some of the things we've uh, we've found out today i'm going to take those home and Press the wife. I, I've, no, I've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed uh, uh, this. I've got to say, I think it's a great idea because it's not often you get a chance to, um, you know, have this kind of conversation really uh, uh, that that we've been having. Uh, if there was, if there was anything that I wanted, uh, uh, um, that I wanted people, if anyone was listening to this, which I'm sure they will, because sure there'll be one, there. two, yeah, maybe. maybe. Pay, uh, if, pay some people to listen. If, if, yeah, that's good. Yeah. If if there was anyone listening to this, that, then I. Uh, the thing that I, I really wanted to get across was uh, I, I'm, I, do, I do want people to uh, understand the importance of our business community. I, I don't think that, that people who are in the business community recognize them, the power that they have and the impact they have on the economy. Otherwise, they'd be stepping up and speaking a lot louder uh, than they do. But not surprising because they're focused in on their business. And I do want people to understand that by, by driving local business community doesn't mean you only have to look inwards. A local business community, if I can help and encourage businesses who are in northeast Lincolnshire or northern Lincolnshire to look further afield and bring business into Grimsby to export out to the rest of the world, to the rest of the UK, to start servicing areas all over the UK, but do it from Grimsby then we're bringing new revenue in, new employment opportunities, new skills, and that's the way to build this economy. And uh, that's the future for us, uh, whether it's Brexited or not, that's the future as far as we're concerned. And anyone who's got that thought, just come and see us at eFacts. I promise you that there's an ear there ready to listen. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much, Liam. Cheers. <laughs>